All right. My daughter said, that sounds really loud. No, she didn't say that. I, I, I say that, but it sounds really loud. She said, boy, dad, you better make it snappy. And so, yeah, it's been a great morning hearing the goodness of God. Uh, but okay, here we go. Second trip for Paul, his second missionary trip. It begins now for us, not literally, but in our current series, The Life of Paul, series two, part four. It starts now. Last week, we looked at the sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas were having revolving around whether or not John Mark should go or not go on the second trip of revisiting all of the churches because the way it's described for John Mark is that he deserted them on the first trip and he deserted them early into the first trip. And we remember that Paul was like, no, no way is he going. And Barnabas was like, yes, he should go, he should go. And some of the takeaways that we found from that situation was this. Mario gave us this line that is so true, so applicable for us, and it's that Christian ministry is messy, but it's better than the alternative. It's better than quitting. It's better than doing nothing at all. And so what happens is Barnabas takes John Mark, and he heads south, while Paul gets Silas, and they head north. And we are going with Paul, because it's the series on Paul. So here we go, turning your Bible to Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 40. Get the running start into the second trip. And it says, Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And now chapter 16. Then he went on to Derbe. In Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. So there's our start. Paul is continuing his study, and now he is hitting three churches right here that he had already been to, and he's revisiting them. It had only been a few years, but this is a reunion of sorts for him. And before we look at it, I want you to imagine just a little bit, again, of what it must have been like for Paul as he was approaching this town. I'm sure there was great excitement. I'm sure there was some anxiety of the unknown. Because from everything we could tell from his first trip, he never stayed in one city for an excessively long time. It's not like he was in these cities for a long time and established this thorough discipline, this, this thorough discipleship program for everyone to learn and grow in Christ. That's not the way it happened when he came to the towns. Time and time again, it was come to a new city, which was much more of a quick operation before some kind of persecution set in, like being stoned to death, and Paul had to leave in a hurry. Of the three cities that are listed here, two of them had life threats to him. When he went to Iconium the first time, the people planned to stone him, but he escaped just in time. But when he went to Lystra, they did stone him, like laid dead, mangled looking, like he was completely dead. That's how many stones hit him. And so he's going back to these cities right here, and it seems that, you know, the last time he was there, there was not just this, uh, hey, hurry back, we're glad to see you mentality. He comes back, and the text says he found believers 
He found Timothy, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He found Timothy's mom, a believing Jewish woman, it says. Her name isn't mentioned here, but it is later in the Bible. Her name is Eunice. And he found what is called a whole group of brothers, which is a term of endearment to describe fellow like-minded believers in Christ. He found a whole group of brothers. How exciting it must have been for Paul to get back to these cities, to see that the gospel that was preached years ago, it had taken its root and it was working in these, it was working in these cities. And did you notice? There was no mention of persecution. No beatings, no lynchings, no stonings. Very encouraging, I would imagine, for Paul as he entered back into these cities after traveling all of these miles. Timothy is mentioned by name. The text says that he was a believing Jewish, he was the son of a believing Jewish mom and a Greek dad. That makes Timothy then the son of an international marriage. Timothy is probably 18 to 25 years old at this time. The way Luke gives us this information can make you wonder if it means that Timothy's mom was a believer and his dad was not. I'm not sure that can be 100% the conclusion. Uh, when you stop and think about names were a big deal back in Bible days, did Timothy's dad have a part in naming him? Because if he did, he named him Timothy, which means honors God. It would be really like unusual for an unbelieving Greek guy to name his son that. So maybe, but at the same time, Dad isn't mentioned in a very famous verse that, that we're told in First Timothy, Second Timothy, verse one, chapter one, verse five. And here's the verse. Paul is writing to Timothy years later. And he says, "I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. It's an interesting verse that why isn't dad's name mentioned here as well? So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We're not sure. Some suggest that perhaps his father had already died. Timothy was young and his father died. Could be. Another great question to ask is, this, the mother-in-law here, the, 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 the grandmother here, is this on Eunice's mom or is this a mother-in-law? So there's some unknown here. We don't have all the details, but one thing that we can see for sure is that Timothy is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and where he is living, the entire community speaks very, very highly of him. So highly that verse 3 says, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. This is a big moment for these two. This is becoming the start of a long, healthy mentoring relationship between Paul and Timothy. The relationship would grow so deep that later on, years after their, their time together and training together at 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul would address him like this, my son in the faith. And perhaps his father, biological father did die and, and Paul was filling the gap here. But regardless of that situation, there is definitely this relationship of father teaching a son-like going on in things that of spiritual matter. As the relationship continues to grow, Paul would speak to other people about Timothy like this. He would say, Timothy, my fellow worker, 1 Timothy 16, 21. By the end of Timothy's life, he had moved from being under the study of Paul, an apprentice of Paul, to being an influential leader in the church who was doing the same things that Paul had taught him for others. And that's a great point for us to just pause and consider. So we're going to jump off of our story from time to time. Here's jump off the story point number one. 
How do these first three verses of Acts 16 apply to us? What's the point here? I think here is a point for us, and it's this. Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy in your life? I think I have a slide for application, if it's there. There it is, right? Uh, in your life. There, there's not a Christian alive who does not need to be seriously engaged in a spiritual relationship with others. And that means much more than coming to a Sunday morning service for 90 minutes each week. In this case, maybe 100 minutes. Don't get me wrong. This is great. This is biblical. But there is a whole lot more to discipleship than what just happens on Sunday mornings. Church, are you a Paul? Go find a Timothy. Are you a Timothy? Be willing to go find a Paul. I think that's a point for us to, to, to build upon here, to equip, to train, to teach, to encourage, to do life together. And oh, don't, I don't want to hear about excuses. You know them. Too busy, too tired, too much work, too much school, too much kids' schedules, too much, too much, too much. You know what it sounds like? Blah, 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 blah. And I say that because I had a coach who used to teach us on the team. He would always say to us, guys, an excuse only sounds good to the person who's making it. No excuses. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Back to the story. Timothy joins Paul's team, and that includes going back to verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him. Wait a minute. Seriously. Are we reading this right? Because we have spent time and chapters hearing Paul say over and over again that circumcision is out. What is going on here, Paul? This is not how the study has been going. Earlier in our study, all this circumcision stuff, you brought Titus with you to Jerusalem where you argued and defended him like crazy. You adamantly rejected any thought of him being circumcised. In Antioch, in your hometown, when the false teachers arrived, and they were saying things like, hey, all you boys who really want to be Christians, you have to be circumcised. You and, and Barnabas, you rebuked them on the spot and said, no way, that's not right. You took it to the next level. You even went to Jerusalem for the very first ever church council meeting. And circumcision was the main topic on the agenda there. And you and Barnabas and Peter and James and a boatload of elders in the church, you all said the same thing. No circumcision. Remember what James said? He said, don't make it hard for people to turn to God by adding these extra rules in like circumcision. And now here we are, not even one page turned in the Bible, and along comes Timothy to join the team. And not only do you insist that he gets circumcised, it certainly has every understanding that you did the circumcision yourself with your own two hands. So he took him and circumcised him. Please do tell, Paul. 
What has changed? Well, he does. Verse 3 continues. Get circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here's what is happening, and this is important for us to know. Paul did this not for Timothy's salvation, not for extra bonus points with, with God, but he did this so that Timothy's status as a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mama would not hinder the upcoming work with the Jews in these cities. Why Timothy wasn't already circumcised is pretty easy to understand why. It was the responsibility of a Jewish father to see to it that their sons as babies were circumcised according to the Jewish law. But Timothy's father wasn't Jewish. He was a Greek. And Greek dads didn't circumcise kids. But Paul sees Timothy's lack of being circumcised as a problem. Not for Timothy, but for the other Jews who had been very skeptical to listen and take advice and receive the gospel from an uncircumcised Jew. It's important to remember that when we're talking about these cities, they weren't exceptionally large cities. Like, I, I'm pretty sure everyone knew everything about everyone. Like, everyone's business was known. And so it would have been really tricky for Timothy to walk into a local synagogue as a non-circumcised Jew and then not have it be a major distraction to the ministry at hand. Paul might have been thinking, for Timothy to be a good Christian, it means not being a bad Jew. So, do you, do you kind of see then what Paul's reasoning for Timothy to be circumcised? Paul says, Timothy, it's got to be done. And Timothy says, okay. There's a jump-off point for application for us, even in this. I think one thing that we can take from this is that point two of application, the things we do and don't do can have a significant impact on people. I doubt Timothy was stoked with excitement and jumping up and down over the thought of being circumcised. But for the cause, God's cause, God's kingdom, he did it. And it got me to think, do I, do we, do you ever consider doing things or not doing things for the greater cause of God's kingdom rather than my own kingdom? I get that we have 100% freedom in Christ. That is 100% true. Mark it down, found it in Scripture. And yet, there will be, there will be the need to have a divine balance of what you do and what you don't do if you're going to be more concerned about God's kingdom than you are your own. You want to self-test? Here's one. If you are all about your own kingdom, then you will want to do what you want, when you want, or not do what you don't want to do. You will be in total charge of that, and your attitude will be this. I don't care the impact that it has on others. 
I'm going to do what I want to do. If that's your idea of Christian living, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You're more concerned about your kingdom than you are God's kingdom. Timothy is taking one for the team. And there's a lesson here for us. What we do or don't do can have a significant impact on others. Even camp reminds me of that. I don't know if it's equal to circumcision at age 20, but it's the idea of self-sacrifice for others. I won't do this because of others. I will do this because of others. There's a mindset that, King, that Timothy is showing to us here. And it's a valuable point for us. We live in a culture that says, you do you. And that is 100% contrary to this. Back to the story. Did Paul's grand idea of having Timothy circumcised work? Was it the right call? Well, look at verses 4 and 5. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered their decisions, reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. Now remember there, you've got to remember what decisions were reached by the apostles. Those were the decisions that, oh, every Jew and Gentile are all saved the same way, by grace, through faith, in Christ. And then there were other decisions that were reached, like guidelines, instructions to help the Jews and the Gentiles live together in unity despite their differences of being traditionally and culturally different. Those were the decisions that they went around church to church sharing. And what happened? Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Was it the right call for Timothy to be circumcised and then to go on these church trips with Paul like this? Yes. It strengthened their faith. It increased their numbers. There was a Jesus movement happening in these cities. And part of it, you can't ignore the fact that part of it is because of actions like what Timothy did, willing to be circumcised. That played a significant role. It had a great impact on others. Continue in verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Messiah, they came down to Troas. I don't know if you are an underliner or circler in your Bible, but this would be a great time to underline something. The phrase, prevented by the Holy Spirit. Whoa! What does that mean? We'll get to it. First, this idea of going to Asia is not the Asia that we know of today with like China and Japan. The Asia that we're referring to would be in Paul's day, Asia Minor. Paul is traveling along, and somewhere along the way, he says, whoa, let's go to Ephesus. That's a big-time town. The gospel's needed there. And the verse says, the Holy Spirit prevented it from happening doesn't say how, doesn't say what the logistics were. Was there like road construction that they couldn't get through? I don't know. Just didn't happen. And then he said, well, then let's go the other way. Let's go to Bithynia. 
And again, it says that the Spirit of God did not allow it to happen. Maybe there was a pandemic and travel got reduced. I don't know. It doesn't say what happened. But this is what we know. The Holy Spirit prevented it from happening. Which brings us to a key point in understanding the Bible. A key point of Christian living. There is something that's been happening all throughout the book of Acts up to this point. And it becomes especially clear in these verses. And that's the activity of the Holy Spirit. What do you think of when you think Holy Spirit? There are a lot of misconceptions about who or what the Holy Spirit is. Some view the Holy Spirit as this mystical force. Others view it as this impersonal part of God that he gives to believers and, and he's there to help them. The Bible, really clear in its teaching here, the Holy Spirit is God. Oh wait, I, I thought the Father was God. It is. Well, I thought Jesus was God. It is. There is one divine God described in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And together, all of this is trying to define who and what God is with a real body, a real mind, emotions, and a will. And all throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has been directing every person every situation, and every outcome. It just doesn't always start with saying, and the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to go to Derby. We didn't start that way in Acts 16. But he went to Derby, right? Oh, that was a question. He, he went to Derby, right? Which means that the Holy Spirit allowed it, right? Okay. Hang in there with me. Sometimes we come to the books of the Bibles, and the fifth book of the Bible is named Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. A more thorough name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit of the Acts of the Apostles. Well, that changes things a little bit. These are the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And what's a little surprising here is that the Holy Spirit is preventing Paul from speaking the gospel in Asia Minor and Bithynia. Why does he do that? Why prevent that message? And we're going to answer that question. But first, let's jump off the story a third time and ask the question, how does this help us here? What are we learning today? What's the point? And I think the point is this, one of them at least, is this. The Holy Spirit will always guide us, always direct us, and at times He will prevent things. He will make hindrances and roadblocks and closed doors to do so. Like, I think it's safe to say that the Holy, Holy Spirit will show you where to go by showing you where not to go. And maybe you've already experienced some of this in your life. I'm sure you could give testimony to such. I know I can. I know Sherry and I can. Our family can. Lord, I want to go here. And the Holy Spirit prevents it. I was convinced that my first coaching job was going to be in Alabama. 
said yes, go ahead, got on the plane, ready to do it, came home, somewhere in that plane, something happened, and it didn't happen. I remember days away from signing a teaching contract in, with, with the county, and a hiring freeze went into place. No contract, no teaching job. He, he prevented what I thought was really a great opportunity. All through life, we can have this, Lord, I want to go. I want to stay. And sometimes the Holy Spirit says, no, or not now. I think it leads to <clears throat> one of the most popular questions that Christians ask in their life. They ask it at some point in their life. Often they ask it more than once in their life. And the question is this. What is the will of God for my life? You ever ask that question? God, what, what do you want me to do anyway? What's God's will for your life? And I think this text gives us a hint at the answer. You pray about things, you plan things, you prepare for things, and you act. And if the act isn't right, God's going to let you know. Time and time again, we can see that. Do you think Paul and Silas and Timothy here, that they didn't pray, plan, and prepare about going to Ephesus? They were ready to act on it? I'm thinking they did. And when it came time for it, the Holy Spirit prevented it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a wonderful verse for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understandings. Think about Him in all of your ways, and He will guide you on the right paths. Highly recommend that you memorize this verse. You're going to need it. Don't know which girl or boy to pursue in a lifelong relationship or if you should even entertain the thought of that kind of relationship. Pray, prepare, plan, act. The Holy Spirit will let you know. It's the same about moving or staying. Take this job, keep this job, leave this job. Pray, prepare, plan, act. The Holy Spirit will let you know. I see like college kids home. Changing your major maybe? Going to college? Not going to college. Pray, prepare, plan, and act. The Holy Spirit will let you know. Any area of life this will fall into. And let me just say before we jump back into the story. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit prevented some of the things that you prayed about doing, that you prepared for, that you planned on, you tried to act on it, and the, and the Holy Spirit said no, he prevented it from happening, and now it's like a week, a month, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years later, and you're thinking, oh, 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 thank you, Jesus, for not letting that happen. Like, who... I could have married, and who I did marry? Like, wow, Sherry, hmm, I didn't say this in the first service, but I love you, and I'm glad God did not prevent that from happening. 
right? But somewhere, I, I have a part of my testimony, I'm like, whoa, it could have been different. Thank you, Lord, for not answering all of our prayers. Okay, jump back in. Paul wanted to go to Asia. Holy Spirit wanted to be in Troas. Why not Ephesus? I think verses 9 and 10 start to maybe give a little clarification to that, and so let's, let's go there and also end with these verses. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. He traveled to Troas here. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. Again, Paul gets a vision, and I ask a lot of questions like, well, did he have to get this vision in Troas? Couldn't he have got this vision in Ephesus? Couldn't he have gotten it in Bithynia? Couldn't he have got it in Derby? Couldn't he have got it whenever? It certainly seems God could have done that whenever. And I think that's true. But I think that there's something very interesting here in these verses that shows why Paul was to get to Troas. And the word is a small little pronoun in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia. Who is the we? In careful reading here, you might just fly over that. But we know on this trip it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But none of those guys are writing this letter. The we includes Luke. Luke is joining the team here. Is that significant? I think so. I think it's significant, maybe for a couple of reasons, but for sure I think Luke, his day job, he was a doctor. Paul is getting ready to leave the country to go to Europe, to Macedonia. And he's doing it in a way that God hindered him from going to Ephesus because if he had gone over there, he would not have been in Troas where Luke was to join the team. And to have your own personal doctor traveling on a missions trip? Well, that sounds like an okay thing. Again, I... Nothing like conclusively says that, but I, I think it draws us to a point here of being able to say, God works in mysterious ways. Paul's about ready to ship across the Aegean Sea to deliver for the very first time the gospel in Europe. And the way God wanted it to happen was to take Luke, a doctor, with you. So I think it's a very simple application for point number four, but it is this. The Holy Spirit is still calling people to travel across the world to share the gospel with others, and he's providing everything you need to do it. He will. It's exciting at Good News right now. We have people at Good News who are ready to do this. It's happening. And I get to hear like these stories of, Oh, you know what God provided for us this week? And oh, you know what God provided for us this week? It's all coming together as the Holy, Holy Spirit is allowing or as the Holy Spirit is preventing. People are leaving what they call their normal ways of living 
And they're making efforts, just like Paul made efforts. ASAP to get on planes and boats and trains and hike remote trails to reach all kinds of unreached people groups with the most important thing that could ever be reached with, the gospel. These verses help remind us that every Christian is called to be a missionary. Some of us are missionaries right here on Turf USA. On your street address, at where you work, share the gospel, live the gospel, do it every day. And it is just as true that God is calling some to leave what they know as normal and go find a new normal and share and live the gospel every day. What happens in Macedonia is really, really exciting. Capital E, exciting. And God willing, we will pick up this second missionary trip there. But for today, four points. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Maybe it's a day to walk out of here, and before you do, grab someone's cell number and say, let's have lunch. Let's start the process of maybe a long, healthy Bible discipleship relationship. The things we do and don't do can have a significant impact on others. It's a great reminder to evaluate, am I living for God's kingdom or my kingdom? The Holy Spirit's going to guide and he's going to direct and a lot of times, sometimes at least, it's going to be preventing you from doing what you thought you should be doing. And that's okay. Thank God for it. And yes, the Holy Spirit calls people to go to unreached peoples. And he calls people to stay right where they are. What is his calling for your life? Do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... Uh, recording this second missionary trip of Paul as it gets started. It's obvious that you want us to know the history of it. Like you want us to, to know these, these facts as facts. But I think there's, it's also true that you want us to see like your glory in this. You want us to see how you act and how you allow, and how you prevent. Like that's, that's the main story here. That's the main focus for us. So, so let us see things like this and say, okay, I, I can trust this. I trust you. You are worthy of this kind of trust. You gave us Jesus. He's taken the place of our sins. Lord, I, I am convinced. I mean, as a pastor of this church, I'm convinced that you have Pauls and Timothys in this body who need to get connected. 
And Father, I'd ask that our people would, would consider this. What does it look like? What does it entail? Let us consider that what we do and what we don't do can have a significant impact on others. Yes, I thank you for all the Christian liberties that you give to us. But man, it seems like there's a lot of gray areas to this Christian life. But I, I'd ask that you would, you would just give us a heart of preference to one another. That, that we, we would find that great balance of doing things and not doing things for your kingdom and not so much about our own kingdom. It is so difficult to understand why you prevent things in our life that we think are good, that we need, that we should be doing, and you say no. Father, I ask that the same Holy Spirit that says no and prevents things would be just as active in our life with giving us peace and joy and able to thank you for that. Like trusting that your ways are better than our ways. You know what's ahead. We don't. Help us to trust you in that way. And certainly, Father, as it's been since sin has entered into this world, Oh, the gospel needs to be shared. It needs to be lived. So allow your Holy Spirit to tug on our hearts and let us be willing to be where we need to be. whether it's Ocala, Bellevue, villages, and all these surrounding areas where we come from to gather here. Or you might be gently or not so gently poking at us to say, go somewhere else. This is my will for you. Father, let us be in tune with you in a way that we hear these things. and allow us to be obedient, to trust and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.